chapter 4 this morning and get into the Word of God. We're so thankful that you're with us today. Let's go ahead and open the Bible. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to be in the house of God. Thank you, Lord, as we gather together on this holiday weekend, Lord. We count all those many blessings that you've given us. Lord, I'm so mindful, God, of your goodness and your grace at work in our life. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the liberty, God, that you bring into the life of the believer. And we ask this morning for that liberty in the house of God. We thank you, Lord, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And Lord, we ask for that freedom and liberty in the house of God this morning. We bind Every spirit coming against the operation uh, of, of you this morning, we pray, God, that you would have your way in this church service today. I ask, Lord, for that anointing to preach and to teach as you desire. And, Lord, we all ask for that anointing that we can hear and receive today what the Spirit of God is speaking. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says Glory to God. First Timothy chapter four. We're going to be getting into the word of God this morning as Paul is writing this letter to uh, his son in the faith, Timothy. And one of the things that is so important that we see in this passage, we're going to pick it up in verse number six. Uh, Paul said this. He said, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Now, the reality is a lot of people, they'll stop right there and they'll, they'll say, okay, I've, I've got something of faith. I've attained something of knowledge. I, I've got a few things going on and I'll, I'll stop right there. But Paul then gives this word of warning to Timothy. And I want to tell you that, you know, God has called us to not just have a nominal Christianity. God, God did not call you to subscribe to a set of ideas, but God has called you to new life. So Christianity is a set of ideas, but in reality, Christianity without new life is meaningless. Christianity is based on the resurrection. Christianity is based on the old man passing away and new life coming into you. And so Paul's not willing to just stop right here at coming into words of faith and good doctrine. And that's what your flesh would love for you to do is to stop right there and to just acknowledge the, the standards or the set teachings of Christ. A lot of times whenever you talk to people, they'll say, Jesus was a good teacher. Yeah, he's a good teacher, but he is the word of life. He is truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? And the reality is, if Jesus did not come, we wouldn't have access to the Father. We would have no access to the Father if Jesus didn't come. So it is one thing to ascribe to the ideas of Christianity, but you need to come back to the reality of Christianity, which is that Jesus made a way for you to get to the Father. Jesus made a way for the Father to get to you. Amen? He is that one mediator between God and man. He's the man, Christ Jesus. And he bridges that gap, and he brings life to those that were once dead. You know what? I'm, I'm telling you this morning that God has called you to live in Jesus' name. God has called you to live the new life in Jesus' name. Amen? So don't, 
don't allow your flesh to get you back into this place to where you just acknowledge these theological precepts, but you don't have the living witness of the Holy Spirit in your life. This morning, look, Paul went on. He didn't stop. I want you to notice at the end of that, Paul said, look, then you'll be nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine where thou hast attained. And he didn't stop. He goes on and he said, but refuse profane and old wives fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop right there for a second, but I want you to understand a working definition of godliness. Godliness is the effect of God in you. To be a godly person, it means that the Spirit of God is doing something in you and is compelling something out of you. Godliness is the effect of God in you. And so what Paul is teaching Timothy here is refuse profane things, refuse the old wives' fables, and press on, press on to godliness. Exercise yourself to that place to where the Spirit of God stirs up on the inside of you. And I want to tell you this morning, there's a lot of people that they stop. They will not exercise themselves unto godliness. They will exercise the natural body. Look at the next verse. Paul said this. He said, for the bodily exercise provided little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life. That now is, and that which is to come. Now, see, I want you to see that a, a lot of people will exercise their natural bodies, but Paul is telling Timothy, don't stop it just with these theological truths, but literally exercise yourself in the Spirit until the, until the flame of God rises up on the inside. Exercise yourself under godliness. And so this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. I believe that the Spirit of God is compelling you to come to a place to where you exercise yourself spiritually until the, until the flame of God arises in your soul. Don't allow yourself to be complacent. Don't allow yourself to get into this place to where you have a form of godliness, but not the power thereof. Amen? Or oh me. Don't allow yourself to get into that place where you have that form of godliness. Amen. You know, you know you're supposed to shake your head. You know you're supposed to not do this and not touch that. You know you're supposed to have that form, but you don't have it from the inside, that working. You don't have the power of godliness in you. So the Apostle Paul, look back in verse number seven, he said, he, he told Timothy to refuse profane. And old wives' fables. And I want to tell you the word profane here in this passage, it doesn't necessarily mean blasphemy. The, the, the word here, profane, does not mean uh, a blasphemous activity, like turning a cross upside down and burning it, which would be profane, but that's not necessarily what he's talking about. When he's talking about profane, he's talking about crossing the boundary outside of what God wants you to do. It's just simply not doing what God wants you to do. That's profane. Whenever one of the Levitical priests would come into the temple of God and they didn't even wash their hands, that was considered profane. 
If they stepped foot in one part of the temple when they weren't supposed to, that was considered a profane act. If they brought the wrong sacrifice, that was a profane act. If they didn't wear the right clothes, that was a profane act. If they didn't take a bath the night before, that was a profane act. So it's not necessarily blasphemy. It's just not doing what God calls us to do. And so whenever Paul is telling Timothy this to refuse the profane, it means to don't don't allow yourself. Don't allow yourself to get into that place to where you let religious activity take the place of godliness in the soul. That's what God wants you to hear this morning. Now, as we continue in that passage, I told you that bodily exercise, it profits little. A lot of people, they focus on the exercise of the body. You talk to most people, everybody's concerned about the natural body. This natural body will be laid down one day. Amen. We, we, we can exercise a natural body, but this natural body is not the body that's going to go to heaven. You're going to lay this natural body down and be resurrected with a new body. Amen. So we worry about this one. I, my, my arm is stiff. My, my leg don't work right. My, my shoulder's hurting. But this body is going to be laid down in the grave. Amen. I should be more concerned about that inner man than the outer man. I should be way more concerned about my inner man having the Spirit of God at work in me and godliness coming out of me than my shoulder or my neck or what's going on with this person doing that to me. Amen. He said that a lot of people, they bodily exercise, it profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Now, I want you to think about that. That's why so many people don't profit in the things of God. A lot of people, they need more books, they need more theology, they need more classes, they need, they need somebody to take them by the hand and walk them across the street. They need, they need somebody to write them a letter and pat them on the back because they don't have that inner spiritual profiting. But he says, if you would exercise yourself unto godliness, you'll profit in all things. That means the word profit there, we're not talking about monetary profiting, we're talking about going forward in the things of God. Amen. And so when you have the Spirit of God at work in you, you will be profitable unto all things. No matter what season of life you're in, that, that flower won't wither. Amen. Doesn't Psalm chapter 1 teach us that? That you'll be planted by the living water. It doesn't matter what season it is, no matter what temperature it is. If you're planted in the good soil next to the good water, then you're going to produce a harvest in every season. And so Paul here is saying that this is how you can be profitable in all things. And the end of that verse, he said that that's where you see the promise. That's where you see the promise of life. This is what at the beginning I told you what people miss because they allow themselves to subscribe to a set ideas of Christianity, but they don't have the life of Christianity and I want you to know Christianity is more than a set of ideas. Christianity is more than a set of standards. It's more than good manners. It's more than something you subscribe to and check a box in. It is a living witness on the inside. It is new life flowing from this very Spirit of God. And the reason why many people live... A, a, a menial Christianity, one that has no purpose, one that is much like the world. It just has a little potpourri on it, has a little perfume, you know, sprayed over it. It's a sanitized version of worldliness. 
the reason why many people settle for a sanitized version of worldliness is because they don't have life. They don't have life. And I want to tell you the most important thing for you is life. Don't settle for sanitized religion. Don't settle for being better than the world. I believe that there's probably some people in the world that are better than a lot of church folks. If you want to, if, depending on what standard you want to use, there's probably more people to, more charitable. They give the shirt off their back. But that's not the standard for Christianity. The standard of Christianity is, is the life of God in you. That's the standard of Christianity. So you don't want to allow yourself to, to fall back into that place where you say, okay, well, I subscribe to this tenant. I subscribe to this idea. I check the box there, and then I'm going to go watch the game. But the reality is, is God has called you to new life, friends. God has called us to new life. He said, in Christ Jesus, the old, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become what? All things have become new. Not some things, all things. And, and so the, the, really the question is, and the, the mic drop from God to you is, have old things passed away and have all things become new in you? That's the, that's the mic drop from God. And, and the reality is, unless that's your testimony, you've missed the boat. And, the, and, and God wants you to get it. God's not telling you you missed it, you're off. God wants you to say, you know what, I don't have that life. I don't have that living witness. I've, I've allowed myself to kind of fall back into this place to where I, I'm just coasting on, subscribing to the right tenets of Christianity, but I don't have that life flowing in me. And I want to tell you this morning that that's the most important thing for you, because if that life is flowing in you, no matter what's coming against you, the proper thing will be coming through you. It is the most important thing for you and for me to get a hold of. It is the life of God in us. It is the life of God in us. It says that in that verse eight, it says it has the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. See, the, the promise of God here is that there's not only when you have that spirit, that new life in you now, now you have confidence that in the world to come, that when you close your eyes in death, that you're, you'll wake up on the other side of the River Jordan. How do I know that? Because there's something inside of me. There's a new life inside of me. Amen? There's a new life inside of me. How many of you know that if we took a theology test, the devil would pass it? How many of y'all know that the devil knows how many gods there are? How many of you know he knows what name is above every name? You think he could describe the gates of heaven? You think he could tell you the only way you could be saved? Amen? I believe if we took a theology test, he could make a 100. So passing a theology test don't mean it makes you right with God. It's when you, when you surrender 
and you let go of your sin and you let go of your old man and you let go of the world and the way of the world and the system of the world and who you were and you come to Christ and you receive the life of Christ for your life in exchange. He laid down his life for yours. And when you come to the cross, you you lay down your life for his. All things have got to pass away and all things become new in you. Christianity is about new life. And, and Paul here, he was compelling Timothy. He said, look, it's good to have the faith. It's good to have the doctrine. But make sure you refuse the profane things and the old wives' fables and you exercise yourself unto godliness. In other words, the most important thing is to get that spiritual exercise going in, in God so that the effect of God is in you. And I want to ask you this morning, are you exercising yourself unto godliness? Can that be said of you and me? That's what God wants us to know. Can that be said of us that, that we let go of those things that are superficial in nature? And, and, you know, we don't have to get into old wives' fables. Those are the, you know, the, 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 the things, the religious sayings, you know. Oh, you know, bad luck comes in bunches. These types of things. God doesn't subscribe to old wives' fables. Right? Everything comes in threes, or everything comes in sevens, everything comes in fours. N- none of that is of God. And so if you're going to be a person of faith, you're going to have to let go of the old wives' fables, and you're going to have to let go of the profane things, and you're going to have to press in till the life of God begins to be formed in you afresh. This is the mark of godliness, and godliness is the life you've been called to. Amen? Godliness is the life you've been called to. When, when, when you're not living that in godliness, when that new life is not flowing in you, that's when you get touchy. That's when you get impatient. That's when you get angry. That's when you get bitter. That's when you get enraged. That's when you're not forgiving. That's when you're not walking in the liberty and the freedom of Christ Jesus. It's when you're walking in the flesh, but subscribe to the tenets of faith. And I want to tell you this morning, God has something better for you than to subscribe to some tenets of faith, but not have the power of God in your life. Don't ever let yourself. That is a, a lie from the devil. That's what that's what, exactly what Satan wants you to do is subscribe to a set of ideas, but not have the power of God in your life. Now, Paul Talking about godliness, he carries this on to the next book that he wrote to Timothy. Turn with me to 2 2 Timothy chapter 3. Same writer, same man opening the book. Paul writes another letter to Timothy. Many of you know sometimes you tell somebody something and you think about it and you say, let me, one more thing. I I, I got something else to tell you, right? Let me tell you something else. Well, <clears throat> Paul begins this passage in, in 2 Timothy 3 in verse number 1. He said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Peril is danger. Dangerous times. You live in dangerous times. You, you, you don't see it in the natural, but in the spirit, there is a war for your soul right now. 
The devil doesn't want you to walk in victory. The devil doesn't want you to know the power of God available for you. The devil wants you to resort to the flesh and live in the flesh and shrink back from the faith that you once subscribed to. And just like I just said, he would love nothing more than for you to subscribe to some tenets of faith, but not know the God of the faith. These are dangerous times. He said that perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And, and, and this, this list that we've just gone through, these are categories. These are categories of people that don't have the power of God in their life. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways that it fleshes itself out. And, you know, uh, it's like our emotions. We all, we all have different forms of sorrow because we're all wired different emotionally. And, and in the same way, all these categories right here that, that Paul just lists, these are just different ways that it manifests when somebody doesn't have the life of God in them. Some of them resort to this, and some of them resort to that. But the, the bottom dollar, the common denominator in all these categories is, is that they don't have the literal life of God in them. And I want to tell you, that's the basis for Christianity. All these things, and look at the next verse. It said, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, and again, you remember the working definition of godliness? The effect of God in you. The effect that God has on your soul and how it manifests itself out. He said, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such. Turn away. In other words, these are people that claim to know God. These, are, these were not people that, that were, uh, you know, so trying to get people signed up into uh, the, the satanic church. These are people that claim to have something of religion. But they, they fell into these categories. Why? Because they, they held to a form of godliness, but they didn't have the power of that godliness. They had, a, they had a religious formality at work in them, but they didn't have the power at work in them. They settled for the outer, but they didn't have the inner. And this morning, I want to tell you, so vital that in these last days, in these perilous days, that you not allow yourself to settle for an outer extremity, visual appearance of religion. But to exercise yourself, as Paul said in the, in the previous book, to exercise yourself unto godliness until the Spirit of God has a genuine effect in your soul and changes you this is this is christianity and 
It says here that these people, they had this form of godliness, and it, it takes many forms. So, you know, I, I, I've seen people, that they will sign up for uh, all kinds of activities. One of the churches I used to be a part in, and, and this is one of the reasons I left there, but they, they didn't care anything about people being converted. All they cared about is bringing people into the door and signing them up for an activity to get us uh, involved in. And um, I saw their graph. It, it was like a hamster wheel. They say they get in the door, you get them on the first rung of volunteer, you get them on the second rung, the third rung, and then they stay. And all I saw was hamster wheel. And that, that's all it is. And religious activity, and I want you to know that the devil would love nothing more than for you to, to be as dead and cold and indifferent to the things of God, but serve. But serve. He, he is a taskmaster. He always has been, and he always will be a taskmaster. Sin is a taskmaster, and the devil is the head taskmaster. And he would love nothing more than to sign you up to volunteer and serve and not have you changed by the power of the Spirit of God. But I want to tell you this morning, God has something better. God has something better for you. God loves you and cares about you, and he doesn't want you to fall into this vicious trap of having this form and getting on that hamster wheel and serving and volunteering and suffering through and manning up and, and just doing your thing and not having the power and the life of God in you. Paul told Timothy that most important thing. He said, you got the doctrine, you got the faith, but now you need to make sure you don't allow yourself to get profane. Don't allow yourself to do things without the life of God. Don't allow yourself to get profane, but exercise yourself unto godliness. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do to get the flame and the fire of God in your soul. Sometimes we've got to turn off the TV. Sometimes we've got to turn off the radio. Sometimes we've got to stop being mad with our spouse about something. Or we've got to stop being mad at our boss. We've got to stop being mad at our Sunday school teacher. We've got to stop being mad at politicians. You know, you can't have the life of God in you when you're so bitter about politics. You've got to let bitterness go. You've got to let unforgiveness go. Because, look, you had a high debt against God, and God freely forgave you by the blood of Jesus. You have no right nor authority to be bitter and unforgiving toward others. And if you want to have the life of God in you, you've got to let go of those things so that you can receive the things of God. For you cannot have both. You can't be, you cannot have both. You can't hold on to your pride. And they shouldn't have done this to me. And they shouldn't have done that to me. And you don't know what it's like. You can't hold on to those types of things and have the living witness of the Holy Spirit fanning the flame in your soul. You got to choose the God you're going to serve, you or Him. You can't serve two masters. You can't go left and right at the same time. You can't go forward and backward. You can't be hot and cold. You've got to choose the God that you serve. And the reality is, is these people that they, they traded godliness for a form of godliness because there was something else at work in their life that took precedence over the life of God. Well, you know, Jesus actually told a parable about this. 
in, um, in, in, in the gospel of Matthew. If you want to turn with me, let me show you this in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus actually had a, a, a parable about this. I want to tell you, the devil would love nothing more than for you to have this hamster wheel life. Matthew chapter 13. I was reading on this. I was talking about A.W. Tozer earlier. He got saved by a street preacher. He's one of my favorite theologians. But he said this about faith. He said, faith is good only when it engages truth. Only when it engages truth. When it rests on a falsehood, it leads to eternal tragedy. You see, faith is good, but it has to. To, it has to be tied to truth. And it's one thing for you to have faith in doctrine. It's one thing for you to have faith, but you have to hold that faith in truth. And what is the truth? What is the truth? Jesus died on the cross that you may live. Think about that. And how common is it for people to let go of that one reality? And, 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 and instead of actually having the life of God in them, they just subscribe to a set of ideas. Yeah, Jesus died that I may live, but they don't have life. Yes, Jesus died that I may live, but they don't have life. Like their very words betray the reality in their soul. Yes, Jesus died that I may live. Like a parrot, they repeat it, but they don't know the life of it. See, you have that, that faith has to engage truth. It has to be a living reality in your life. That yes, Jesus died that you may live. See what I mean? It, Jesus died that you may have life in you and life everlasting, new life. I don't know about you. I'm thankful that my old man's dead and gone. I'm thankful that Jesus gave me an opportunity to come to the cross. Amen. I don't want to pick up that old man no more because that old man was dirty and rotten and on his way to hell. And I don't want to walk in those shoes no more. I'm thankful that God has given me an exchange. Amen. I'm not modified. I'm dead in Christ, but now I'm made alive in him. I've been buried in the baptism of his death, and now I've been made alive by the Spirit of God. The same Jesus that walked out of that tomb is supposed to be alive in you and me. Amen. Yes, it's a theological reality, but it has to be experiential too. It has to be experiential. You have to exercise yourself unto this place of godliness where the Spirit of God has an effect inside you. The devil would love nothing more than to sow corrupted seed in you. Nothing more. He don't care if you go to church. He's got some preachers in some pulpits. That's true. You, you go back and you read, you know, the way Paul talks about false teachers in the book of Corinthians. And, I mean, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and he has ministers that do the same thing. Witches will send people in churches. The devil will send people in churches. So you can't take everything on its surface. You can't. And I want to tell you something else. We can't take things on its surface, and God don't take things on its surface. Come on. 
We say, oh, yeah, there may be some devils in the pulpit. And we're like, yeah, so don't take it on the service. Just because somebody's in the pulpit, don't trust them. They've, what they've got to do is line up with this, right? Amen. You've got to test the spirit to make sure it's of God, right? You've got to line up with the word of God. Amen. It don't matter how sweet it talks or how sweet it walks. It's got to line up with the spirit of truth. Amen. And, and so the reality is, is that the devil would love nothing more than for us to, to say, well, you know, I, I, I go to church. I want you to know God sees through that. God sees through church attendance. He sees through people going. You know, some people are under so much uh, conviction of soul that they'll do religious activities. If you don't think that's the case, you should talk to some of the people in prisons. They'll say, uh, you know, I went to church, but I, I was only just trying to work off some of my bad. God's not bought. But that's human nature. Human nature says, I need to work off some of my bad. Amen. But that's not Christianity. Christianity says you can't work it off. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Amen. You, you got half of it, right? You're bad. You got half of it, right? You're bad. None are good but God, right? You got half of it, right? You're bad. But the other half is your bad was nailed to the cross by Jesus. And so now he offers an exchange to you to lay down your life for his, just like he did for us. But as I was saying, the devil would love nothing more than for us to have church attendance and get on the hamster wheel of religious activity and service and volunteerism and, uh, and, and, and get involved in things, but not have God involved in us. In Matthew 13, verse 24, I'm not going to read the whole parable. We might get into the rest of it later tonight, but I, I want to touch on these first three verses Matthew 13, verse 24 through 26. Remember the parable of the sower and the wheat and the tares. The wheat and the tares. You know, it's amazing how God uses these illustrations to teach a spiritual truth. He said in verse 24, another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. And look at this next verse. So the servants of the household came and said to him, Sir, did not thou sow good seed in thy field, and from whence then hath it tares. The parable of the, the, the tares and the wheat is a spiritual reality. This is not just a story time at the Apollo. This is a real activity that happens in the spirit. The enemy literally comes in to the field, and he will sow tares in among the wheat. And listen, at first glance, all you see is things come out of the ground. At first glance, all you see is things come out of the ground. You don't see the difference until it says the, the blade comes forward, that, like the blade of grass. At first, everything looks the same. It's just because there's growth don't mean it's good growth. Come on, somebody. 
Not all growth is good. If you think all growth is good, wait, you know, those, nobody wants a tumor growth. Not all growth is good. Some growth is bad. Amen. Amen. We don't want some of that. And, and in the same way, we don't, want, we don't want tares to grow. But at first glance, all you see is things come out of the ground and stand up. And see, if you don't take a close inspection at what activity is in your life, if you don't take a a, a deeper look at what truly is going on in our soul, then we'll be satisfied with activity and not the life of God. But the reality is, is that in the same field grew up wheat and tares. And God is calling on you and me to not settle for having tares in our souls um, brother Clendenham, he, he talked about tears. He said, all you got to do for a tear is entertain it. All you got to do for a tear is make it smile and laugh and giggle and give it coffee. That's all you got to do for a tear is just entertain it. But, but, uh, 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 the wheat of God desire the life of God. The wheat of God want to hear about Jesus. The, the wheat of God want to know God deeper. Amen. The wheat of God hunger and thirst for righteousness. The wheat of God desire the things of God, but the tares desire the things of the world. But I want you to see that they both, they both uh, grew up in the same field. And if you only look at things from a superficial lens, you'll say all is well in this field. I went to church. I paid my tithes. I checked the theological boxes. Amen? But James teaches us that even the devils believe and tremble. They check the, the, they check the theological boxes. Amen? They believe and tremble. But the reality is, is we've got to take a deeper look to make sure that what activity is in us is coming from a place of godliness, that we've exercised ourselves into this place to where we're worked up in the Spirit till the Spirit of God is fanning that flame afresh in our life to where we sing because God's alive, to where we lift our hands because He's holy, where we pray because we know Him and we desire Him to do what only He can do. Amen? Or we bow our knees before him because we know he's the only potent king. He's the only great I am. Amen. God has called us to this place to where we don't settle for religious activities. God has not called you to live and dwell and reside in rituals and routine. But to press in to the life of God fans afresh in you. The life of God has got to spring forth from your faith. You've got to stay in that prayer closet. You've got to stay on your knees. You've got to stay with your flesh buffeted until the Spirit of God comes afresh and anew in you. Paul said that whenever you exercise yourself under this godliness, it has the promise of life that now is and that is to come. Amen? And so godliness is that key to having the life of God in you today. That's the key. And I want to tell you this morning, God wants you to have this. God wants you to have this. Do you believe God wants you to have this? God wants you to have this. Let me show you one other passage. Uh, Turn with me to John 5. Turn with me to John chapter 5. 39 and 40. John 5, 39 and 40. 
Jesus was all the time talking to people that were bound by religious routine and rituals. And it's no different today. Because the devil, he don't have a different playbook. He just uses new trinkets. He uses new trinkets. You don't have, it's the same playbook. He, 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 he'll get you bound up into routine, rituals, so long as he can keep you from the source of life. Jesus said in verse 39 and 40 of John chapter 5, search the scriptures. Any true man or woman of God will always point you back to what? What God has said. Whenever Jesus was going back and forth with the devil in, in, in the desert, when he was being tempted, he always went back to what God truly said. The devil will question it, but God will direct it right back to that book. And he said, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, for, and they are they which testify of me. In other words, they were looking at the words on a superficial level, and he said, but you're not understanding that those words are directing you to me. He said that these words, you think just because you memorize a verse that you have life, but you memorize the verse that told you to repent and turn from your sin and believe on him. He said, you, you, in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have, what? Life. So Jesus is talking to a crowd that was settled on religious ritual and routine. But they weren't allowing that word to have its place in their life to drive them to new life. They weren't allowing that word to bring them to a place to where they would be broken before God and say, Jesus, I need you. And I want to tell you that God has moved not because you have everything together, but because you're willing to let everything go. When you come to that place in your life that you're willing to let everything go, that's what will move the heart of God. God's heart is not moved whenever you look like and act like you have it all together. God's not impressed. But what impresses the heart of God is when you say, Lord, I don't have it all together and I need you and I'm willing to let go of my, I'm willing to let go of my prestige in the world. I'm willing to let go of my pride. I'm willing to let go of my way or the highway. I'm, re I'm willing to let go of what I think, you know, makes it look like I have it all together. And I'm willing to look like a fool. I'm willing to. To look like a fool. Paul even talks about that. He said, we've been made fools for Christ Jesus. You know, and I think that's really and truly one of the things that's missing in modern Christianity. Is people aren't willing to look like a fool for Jesus. They're not willing to cry. They're not willing to bow their knee. They're not willing to lift up holy hands. They're not willing to let go of the flesh and let the spirit take over. They're not willing to take that step of faith. Amen. We always knock Peter because when, when Jesus walked on water, he told Peter, come on out here too. But Peter took that step of faith, and he took a few steps on the water. And then when he took his eyes off Jesus, he sank. Amen? 
But let's give it up for Peter because at least he knew where the life was. He was going to Jesus. Amen? And sometimes we're like that. But I want to tell you that you've got to be willing to be a fool. And how foolish does it look to step out of the boat and to take that step? It looks foolish to step out of the boat when you're not docked, right? It looks foolish. But faith will sometimes cause you to do foolish things. And a lot of people aren't willing to let go of their pride. They're not willing to do that. And I want to tell you that you've got to esteem the life of God as more valuable than the life you have. And this, this dichotomy you'll always have until your last day on this earth. You'll always have to choose Jesus over the flesh. You'll always have to choose the work of God over the flesh. Paul wrote this letter not to a lost man. Timothy was a preacher. He was a pastor. He was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And, 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 and so whenever Paul's telling this man, hey, exercise yourself to godliness. Don't settle for a form of religion, but not know the power thereof. He's not telling that to a lost man. He's telling it to somebody like us. And so God is telling us this morning, look, guys, don't settle for a form of religion, subscribing to tenets and doctrine and rituals and, 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 and all these things. You've got to have the power of God in your life. And I want to tell you this morning, God wants to give you that power. Jesus said right there that you've got to come to him that you may have life. And I will tell you this morning, the reason why the, the, the enemy is after you is because he doesn't want you to live in Jesus. He doesn't want you to have the life of God in you. Because once the life of God gets stirred up in you, then you'll start stirring up somebody else. You'll start stirring up somebody else, and then somebody else will get stirred up, and somebody else will get stirred up. And before you know it, we'll have a bunch of people in here stirred up. You know, that, that's why the Quakers got their name. Did you know that? Y'all know the Quakers? That's how they got their name, because they got so stirred up in the spirit, they couldn't contain themselves, and they just started shaking back and forth. They were quaking. That's what they called them. They were shaking back and forth because they just had so much of the life of God in them, they couldn't contain it anymore. And, you know, that's what God wants to do in your life. God wants to stir you up to the point to where you have more than you can hold, to where you have more than you can contain. The life of God in you is what Satan wants to hold back from you. And God is calling you to make your decision. Now, and again, Paul wrote this to a pastor. So don't say, well, preacher, I've already been saved. I don't know why you're preaching this. I'm preaching what God told me to preach, first off. But second off, Paul wrote the letter to a preacher. So it don't matter if you say, oh, I've already been saved. Well, you still need to exercise yourself unto godliness. You still need to make sure that you're fanning the flame. See, one of the sad realities in the church world today is we've settled for what's coming out of pulpits to be a, a book report. Or a, a, a funny joke time or story time. Let me tell you about my experiences. That's not what God called us to do. God called us to lift up our voice like a trumpet and to preach the word. To preach the word in the anointing of God and to lift our voice like a trumpet. 
It's not about experiences and jokes. It's not about book reports. It's not about none of that. It is about the Word of God being preached under the anointing of God. You've got to lift up that voice like a trumpet, and God will work. But here's the key that I want you to see this morning, is that that life, that life that is only found in Jesus is what the devil wants to keep you from. Jeremiah said that that fire was shot up in his bones. He had to preach because something was stirred up in him. And if he didn't let it out, he would die. He would just be burst up in fourth, in half. And, And see, God wants you to have the same thing in you. God wants you to get some fire shot up in your bones. God wants you to have the power of God at work in your life. And you're not going to get it through rituals and routines. You're not going to get it through uh, checking off these boxes. You're only going to get it when you exercise yourself unto godliness, pressing in until the flame of God bursts forth in your soul. Jesus said, come to him that you may have life. And I want to tell you this morning, that's what God wants you to do. God wants you to do that. This, we live in an important time right now. We live in, as well, Paul told Timothy, we live in perilous times in the last days. We do live in perilous times. But you live in a perilous time because our days are numbered. I don't know how many days we have left on earth. I don't know how many days I have left, you have left. We don't know. Only God knows. Amen. But here's the reality. From this day to that day, you better make sure the life of God is flowing in you. You better make sure that you exercise yourself under this thing. Amen? Don't settle for Satan's tricks. I want to ask you this morning as I close, if the life of God is flowing freely in your life. If there's been restrictions. Sometimes life gets complicated, preacher. Sometimes life gets complicated, preacher. I know. I don't know what's complicating your life, but I know things get complicated. But the devil will do anything he can do, and he will do anything to keep you back from the life of Jesus in you. Jesus is simple, though. Jesus is so simple. You know, he, 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 he is so simple that if you'll just let go of pride. Let go of bitterness. Let go of your troubles. Let go of your anxiety. Let go of your fears. Let go of all of those things. And just like that woman with that issue of blood, she pressed through the crowd so that she could touch Jesus. And if she could just get to the hem of his garment, she knew everything would be all right. And what I'm telling you this morning, I don't know what's complicating your life, but I can tell you this in the authority of Jesus. If you'll let those things go and press through those complications, get to the feet of Jesus. Touch his garment, and he'll make you whole in Jesus' name. And the way that we get to Jesus, friends, is by bowing our knees. And if you can't get on your knees physically, as an old preacher said, get on your knees in your heart. But you've got to get on your knees in a humble way before God Confess your sins before him. Let go of those things that you know shouldn't be there and come to him afresh and let the spirit of God work in you this morning. 
Lord, we bless you this morning, and we thank you for this opportunity to hear the Word of God. I thank you, Lord, for my friends here this morning, and I pray, God, for the, the living witness of the Holy Spirit in our life. We thank you, Father, for the, the, the flame being fanned in our soul this day. Lord, I feel the Spirit of God stirring up the bride of Christ in this place. I, I feel you, God, moving in our lives, and I thank you for that, God. You're, 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 you're pleading with some in here this morning, God. I feel you pleading with some that they, they are on a, a, a precipice of danger. And Lord, I just pray, God, right now that those that are in this place, God, that you're pleading with to come back to the life, come back to the river of life. Lord, I pray, God, that they would hear your voice, that they would press through the complications, and they would come to your feet and be made new this day. If you're here today and God's speaking to you, I want to pray for you right where you're at. If you would lift your hand. I want to pray for you right where you're at. Thank you, 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 thank you. Anyone else? Just slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, you see the hands lifted this morning. I thank you for the people of God in this church, God. I thank you, Lord, that you desire, Lord, for fresh fire in our soul. Lord, that we would have the living witness and a living testimony, God, of, of your presence in our lives. And God, that's what we desire. We desire the life of God in us. And Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit afresh on all those, God, that will come to you and lay down everything else to receive the true treasure. Lord, as your parable said, we found that field, that pearl of great price, and we're willing to let go of everything else so that we can gain that pearl of great price. And God, I pray all those that come forward, Lord, that you would pour your spirit upon them in a new and powerful way. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. We're going to open up these altars right now. It's just, as we worship, we're going to ask you to press into this place of worship. Come to these altars.